This parak brings different cases where somebody dies and there is not enough money left in the inheritance for the entire kasuba of his wife or multiple wives to be paid. And we learned at the end of the fourth parak about something known as kasubas benin dichrin. Kasubas benin dichrin is one of the conditions of the kasuba that a woman's kasuba will be inherited specifically by the children which her husband has with her. Of course, if she is widowed or divorced, then she herself would receive the kasuba. But the condition of kasubasman stated that if she were to die before him, such that he would inherit her, when he dies, the kasuba, which would have gone to her, were he to die first, will be inherited specifically by her children. It won't be split between all of the children from all of the different wives which this man has. Rather, it will be split specifically between those women's sons. So that was the creed by the Rabbanon, in order to encourage people to give large dowries. And again, that is known as Kasubas Benin Dichren. So opens up the Perek, Misha and also somebody who was married to two different women, Vomes and he dies, and he leaves behind a small inheritance, which is not enough to pay both of the Kasubas to both women. Says the Mishnah Harishayna, the first woman, the one who he married first, Kaidemes Lashnia, she takes precedence over the second woman. Or in a case where both women died, both of his wives had died before him. So when he dies, his wife's children, his wife's sons, come to claim the Ksubas Benindichren. So in such a case, again, the inheritors of the first wife take precedence in taking the Ksubas over the inheritors of his second wife. However, if Nasa is Hoshina Vamesa, if he married the first wife and then she died, and then Nasa Shnia he married the second woman, Umes Hu, and he died whilst she was still alive. In this case, Shnia, the second wife, the Osheha or her inheritors, so this means that she died after he died. Since at the time of his death she was still alive, so the Kasuba which she is receiving, or which her inheritors would receive, is the actual Kasuba itself. She became a widow, so even without coming to the halach of Ksubas ben she would be entitled to the Kasuba itself. So they take precedence over the inheritors of the first woman who he married, because their claim is only based on the decree midrabonon of Ksubas ben Because according to the strict letter of the law, her husband inherited her, and really that first wife's kasuba should be split equally between all of the sons of that man. So for them to claim the kasubas that it should only go to them, they have less of a claim than the second woman or her inheritors, since she is really collecting the kasuba itself according to the original strict letter of the law of kasuba. Alright, Mishnah Base, this Mishnah is coming to tell us that the law of Ksubasman only applies in a case where it will not contradict and go totally against what should happen mid-Eraisa. Mid-Eraisa, if the women died before the man, then he inherits all of their property, including their kasuba, and when he dies, so it should be split between all of his sons equally regarding which who their mother was. And the Mishnah says that Misha and also Yishtenoshim, somebody who was married to two women, v'mesu, and then the women died, v'achakach mesu, and then he died. 
The Yisumim of Action Ksubas Iman and the orphans are requesting the Ksuba of their mothers. They're requesting the Ksubas Benin Dichrin. The Ainshmelish takes Ksubas and there is only enough in the inheritance for the exact amount of the two Ksubas. So let's say talking about a situation where the amount of the kasubas of either of the wives was a different amount, or the dowry which was included in the kasuba was larger for one woman. And let's imagine that the total amount of the two kasubas, let's say one of them was 200 zuz, and one of them was 300 zuz. So in total that's 500 zuz. And this man died leaving behind exactly 500 zuz. So with Arisa what should happen is that it should be split equally. The sons of one wife will receive 250 zuz, and the sons of the other wife will also receive 250 zuz. However, if we go according to the decree midrabonon of Kasubas ben Indichren, then the sons of one wife will receive 200 zuz, whereas the sons of the other wife will receive 300 zuz. Now since he didn't leave behind any other property, if we go according to the decree of Ksuvas ben then the inheritance laws mid will be totally left behind. We won't be using the regular system mid of inheritance at all. And in such a case, the Rabbanon did not decree Ksuvas ben because they only said that that would apply in a case where there will be other parts of the inheritance which will be split in the mid way. So in this case where there is not other inheritance, Chulkin B'Shover, it should be split equally between the sons, let's assume each wife had one son, so each one would receive 250 zuz. Only if Hershom Mesa dinar, if there was an extra dinar above the value of the 500 zuz, the total amount of the kasubas, so then there's a slightly significant amount other than their kasubas, so that amount can be split in the Midaraisa way, split equally, and then that would allow these sons to take the kasubas of their mother, and then it would allow the other sons to take the ksuba of their mother. Now in a case where one of the wives' ksuba was much larger than the other one, let's imagine one ksuba was 100 zuz and the other one was 700 zuz. So in total that's 800 zuz. And if you think about it, if this man leaves behind exactly 800 zuz, then it's a disadvantage for the sons of the woman who had a larger kasuba. They want to be receiving the full amount of their mother's kasuba, 700 zuz. But they would only be able to receive half of the 800 zuz, they'd only receive 400 zuz. So in a situation where he left behind exactly 800 zuz, in Omru Soimim, if some of the orphans said, we will raise the value of our father's property which he left behind to be worth an extra dinar. So it's true that it's worth 800 dinar, but we're going to add on a dinar. Let's imagine that he left behind an extra dinar, because if that were the case, assuming their, their mother had been married first, they would now be able to receive the full amount of 700 zuz, since they could split the dinar, and then they would take precedence over the other wife, the other wife's inheritors. Says the mission in Shemulahem, we do not listen to them. Because at the end of the day, he did not leave behind more than 800 zuz. Rather, we evaluate the property for the exact value that it is in Beistin, and it would be split half-half, assuming, let's say, there's one son for each wife. Each one would receive 400 zuz. So one son would be gaining a lot, 
because based on Ksuvaspin in Dichrin, he would have only received 100 zuz. Now he's receiving 400 zuz, whereas the other son would be losing out. Instead of receiving 700 zuz, he would receive 400 zuz. Mr. Gimel, not all property which the man leaves behind can be calculated and count towards the extra dinar which was mentioned in the previous Mishnah. For example, if there was property which was fitting to come to him. What that means is it was in the hands of somebody else. For example, he had lent money to somebody, someone owed him money. Since it is not in his possession at the time of his death, it is not considered to be an automatic part of the inheritance, and therefore it's not counted towards the extra amount, the extra dinar which was discussed in the previous Mishnah. It's not considered to be in his total possession, and the inheritance of that is not automatic, and therefore it's not counted towards the dinar. Rabbi Shimon adds, Even if there is property, which Achrayis Nechosim would not apply to it. Achrayis Nechosim, as we have seen earlier on in the Masechta, is the ability for somebody who lends money to collect that debt from the land, from the property of the borrower. If the borrower is not able to pay back, so the lender can actually take his land and collect that as the debt. And at least according to Rabbi Shimon, and according to most, Achrayis Nechosim only applies to land or to property which is attached to the ground. But other property, if he has that, Enoiklum, that is also considered nothing regarding the extra dinar, unless there is property there to which Achrayis Nechosim would apply, i.e. land, or property attached to the ground, above the amount of the Tuxubus, by at least a dinar. Since the main inheritance laws apply to property, and that is what is inherited automatically, according to Shimon, that is what is used to calculate this extra dinar. Other property is considered to be a sort of sub-part a secondary part of the inheritance, but not the main part of the inheritance. So for the dinar, the extra dinar, which we will use to split and use the laws mid-araisa, the mid-araisa way to split inheritance, that needs to be done with the main body of the inheritance. Mr. Dalit, somebody who was married to three women, let's say Sora, Miriam, and Devira, in that order, Sora Miriam Dvira, Vomis, and then he died. And we're talking about a case where he married all three women, let's say, on the same day, or at least the dates of their kasubas are written on the same day, and therefore none of them have more right to collect the kasuba over the other one. We saw in the previous Mishnayas that whoever was married first takes precedence in collecting their kasuba. But in this case, none of them have precedence automatically over the other one, because the dates of their kasuba is all the same. And the situation is where kasubosal shall zoimone, the kasuba of the first woman, Sora, is for 100 zuz, vishal zoimosayim. For the second woman, Miriam, it is 200 zuz, vishal zoishleishmiyais. And for the third woman, Devaira, it is 300 zuz. So again, we don't know, none of them necessarily got married before the other one. They all have an equal claim. 
The age when a monad, but there is only 100 zuz left behind in the inheritance. In this case, they should split the inheritance equally, because since each of them are entitled to at least 100 zuz, and that's what was left behind, on 100 zuz, each of them has an equal claim. Alright, if there were 200 zuz left behind, so the way we look at it is that on the first 100 zuz, all three women have an equal claim. And on the second hundred, Sora has no claim on that at all, since her kasuba is only for a hundred zuz. But the other two women, Miriam and Devira, they have an equal claim on the second lot of a hundred zuz. Now the Gemara explains we're talking about a case where the third woman, Devira, she said to the first woman, Sora, she made a declaration that my inheritance, that, that which I take, should not cause you to lose out at all. Now had she not said that, so when it comes to the first 100, we would have split that into three. And since Sora only has a claim on the first 100, she would end up receiving only 33 and a third Zuz. However, since Devoya said that she will not cause Sora to lose out at all, so Sora should be able to receive now that which she would have received had Devoya not been there. So it's, so we look at it as if there were only two women, as if Sora only needs to split the first hundred with Miriam, and therefore Shalmone, the woman whose kasuba was worth a hundred zuz, i.e. Sora, she would take fifty zuz, because Devira effectively gave up on her rights to any part of the first hundred zuz. So the first hundred zuz is only split between Sora and Miriam. And when it comes to the second hundred zuz, Miriam and Devira both have equal rights to that. And the Mishnah says, Shalom Asayim Shal the women whose kasuba value was 200 or 300 zuz, so Miriam and Devira, Shlesha Shlesha Shal Zohov, they would each receive three gold dinar. A gold dinar is the same as 25 silver dinar. Silver, that, that, that's a zuz. So three gold dinar is the same as 75 zuz. So Miriam and Devira would each receive 75 zuz. Now this doesn't really make so much sense, at least at first glance, because it comes out that the woman who gave up on her portion to the first 100 zuz receives exactly the same amount as the woman who did not give up on her share in the first 100 zuz. But the Gemara explains that the woman, Devira, she never really gave over her share to Sora. She just said that that which you should receive is the amount such that you should imagine that I'm not in the picture. So you should imagine as if you only need to share the first hundred zuz with one other person, and therefore you should receive 50 zuz. But she never actually gave up on her share to the first hundred zuz, and therefore she is still entitled to part of the first hundred zuz, just like Miriam is. But at the same time, Sora needs to receive 50 zuz because of her declaration. But since the Voya does still have a share to the first hundred zuz, so she receives the same amount as Miriam. So they would each receive 25 zuz from the the first 100 zuz and 50 each from the second 100 zuz. Because regarding the second 100 zuz, the first woman, Sora, is not in the picture at all. Alright, what happens if Hoysham Shloshmeis, if he left behind 300 zuz? And Gamora explains that in this case, the third woman made a declaration to the other two women that she's not really having a share in the first 100 zuz. So the first 100 zuz is going to be split between Sora and Miriam. 
says Misha Shalmone, the woman whose kasuba was 100 zuz, i.e. Sara and Tenetz Chamishim, she gets to take 550 zuz. Vishal Mosayim, the woman whose kasuba was worth 200 zuz, i.e. Miriam, Mone, she takes 100 zuz because she gets half of the first 100 zuz, which she splits with Sara, and half of the second 100 zuz, which she splits with Devera. Devera did not remove herself and her rights from the second 100 zuz. Alright, and Vishal Shlesh Me'ais, and the woman whose kasuba was worth 300 zuz, i.e. Devera, she would receive Shishal Shazahov, six gold dinar, i.e. 150 zuz, because she receives half of the second 100 zuz, and the entire lot of the third hundred zuz, because only she has the right to the third hundred zuz, since only her kasuba was worth that amount. Right, and ends off the mission of All of this also applies to three people who placed money into a pouch. They joined together for business, and they invested in something, and each one of them gave a different amount of money. If the value of the coins went down or went up, so this is how they would split the money, again according to how much they put in originally. And again, the way we look at it is that the one who put in 100 zuz only has a right over the first 100 zuz. And then we look at the next 100 zuz, and that is split only between the remaining two two people. And the third 100 zuz, only the one who placed in that amount of money has a right over that last 100 zuz. This is quite a complicated Mishnah. Even with the explanation we gave, Tosfus on the Gemara says that it still doesn't really make sense. But the main principle is, as we explained, that each woman only has a claim on the amount that they put in. 